0: Next Sunday then, September 10th, we will be starting up our equip classes again at 9.30 and that's for all ages and that means we will also be going back to our normal uh, times so equip class at 930 and our services will be starting again at 11. So that's starting September 10th So keep that in mind uh, Also, there's gonna be uh, the youth kickoff coming up on September 14th And there's a few other announcements here about some needs there snacks and leaders You can check that out and then finally too, our missions conference mark your calendar September 29th to October 1st and this year we're gonna be having a keynote speaker Uh, Our good friend Alex Borges is going to be speaking uh, Friday, Saturday night, and then also Sunday morning. And so uh, please uh, keep that in mind, and we'll have more information coming out shortly. Uh, Just one other thing I wanted to do, I just wanted to highlight our library. Um, I don't know if it gets the use that it should, and uh, we have a relatively new librarian, Allison Martins, and she's just doing a great job getting some new books in for all ages Uh, And you can check that out. But I I wanted to just highlight quickly uh, four books that maybe you would want to check out because I think these books are particularly relevant uh, just in the times we're living in. Uh, The first is a book by Erwin Lutzer called No Reason to Hide, Standing for Christ in a Collapsing Culture. And it's just a great book explaining how we got to where we're at as a culture, but specifically how we don't need to be afraid as Christians. We trust in the sovereignty of God and we continue doing what we've always done, being people centered on the word and on the gospel and being faithful. That's a great book. Uh, Another... Uh, similar book is by Natasha Crane, uh, Faithfully Different, Regaining Biblical Clarity in a Secular Culture. Uh, similar to that other book, but another one you might want to check out. Uh, another book by the same author is Talking with Your Kids About Jesus, 30 Conversations Every Christian Parent Must Have. So uh, as a parent, if there are some uh, areas, some issues that maybe especially are arising within our cultural moment that you want to talk to your kids about, this is a great book uh, where she gives some helpful uh, insights into how to address those issues and just talk generally speaking about the Christian faith with your kids. And then finally, this is a book uh, either to read with your young uh, or your older children or teens or for them to read themselves. Uh, Sean McDowell, uh, Chasing Love, Sex, Love, and Relationships in a Confused Culture. So another great book that maybe you want to read or you want to hand to one of your teenagers. So uh, there's many other great books out there, books in the library, uh, particularly that uh, Joe and I have suggested these ones and others, and so please check those out in our library. Uh, this time, uh, I just want to call one of our elders uh, here to come up, Robert Claussen, and he's just going to lead us in prayer and then our call to worship as we begin to worship our God together.
1: Good morning. Let's open in a word of prayer. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you again that we can gather on Sunday morning, beautiful morning. We just uh, pray for the service this morning. We pray for the the, um, worship team and pray for the message as uh, Pastor Jay will present it later. We just pray that you'll be with us, open our hearts and our ears to hear this message. Pray that you'll just give us direction and, and wisdom and through the uh, verses and and we just pray this in your precious name, amen. To start this morning's welcome, let's turn to uh, Psalms 27, 1 to 6. Psalms 27, 1 to 6. The Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? The Lord is the stronghold of my life. Of whom shall I be afraid? When evil men advance against me to devour my skin, when my enemies and foes attack me, they will stumble and fall. Though an army besiege me, my heart will not fear. Though uh, war break uh, out against me, even then will I be confident. One thing I ask of the Lord, this is what I seek, That I may dwell in the house of the Lord. All the days of my life. To gaze upon the beauty of the Lord. And to seek him. In his temple. For in the day of trouble. We will keep. Keep me safe. In his dwelling. He will hide me in the shelter. Of his tabernacle. And set me high upon a rock. Then my head will be exalted. Above the enemies who surround me. At his tabernacle. Will I sacrifice and with shouts of joy, I will sing and make music to the Lord. May the Lord add a blessing to his word.
0: Continue to worship the lord now through prayer uh, before we do that i just want you to know uh, this afternoon our council elders and deacons were gathering together uh, with our families uh, for a pollock, and then we're going to uh, pray we, we, with our church calendar our church um, year sort of beginning next week as uh, different ministries and different programs and activities start up we just thought it would be a great thing to, to come together as leadership And to pray for our church and pray for all those especially who are going to be involved in these ministries. So if you are involved in these ministries in any way, know that we will be praying uh, for you today. But let's take some time now to come before our great king and bring our requests to him in humility and in thankfulness. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, you are, as we just sang, our savior king. And we are so thankful that we can have the privilege of being citizens of your kingdom. To be, as we just sang, the people of God, redeemed through the blood of the lamb, Lord Jesus, you coming in love and mercy and grace to redeem us and to invite us to become part of your kingdom. We thank you for that, most of all, for giving your life for us to make that possible. And yet that's not where your story ended. You were then risen from the grave. Three days later, you ascended to heaven and you were coming again, this time as the Lion of Judah in power to destroy your enemies, to set up your eternal kingdom and make everything right again. Lord, as we consider the fact that you are both a loving and a powerful and just king, how helpful that is as we come to you in prayer. As the old hymn says, you are coming to a king, large petitions with you bring, for his love and power are such that none can ever ask too much. And so we come to you in that spirit now. And Lord Jesus, we would ask first and foremost Uh, That as individuals in our own Christian lives, we would honor you as we just sang as king. That we wouldn't just say it. It wouldn't just be a nice sentiment that we sing and that makes us feel good. But we would actually live that way to honor you, bowing the knee to you as our Lord every moment of every day, Lord Jesus. Give us the grace, we pray, to deny ourselves to pick up our cross daily and follow you because you are worthy. You are worthy to be trusted in and you are worthy to submit to and live for every day. So give us the grace we need to do that. We pray too, Lord, that in our homes you would be recognized as the King of Kings. We pray, Lord, in our homes that we would submit ourselves to your will and your ways as revealed in your word. In our marriages, with our uh, children or with parents, Lord, in our homes, we would seek to do your will and live as citizens of your kingdom in a radically different way than those who are part of the kingdom of this world. And Lord, as we do, submit. Our lives and our our families to you. We we do so with an incredible promise that as we do that, and as we seek first your kingdom and righteousness, you're gonna take care of everything else. And thank you for that promise, Lord. And please continue to meet our needs, we pray. Also, as a church, Lord, we want to ask that you would give us the grace to honor you in all that we do. We would recognize, Lord Jesus, that you are the head of this church. And that we are your subjects. And everything we do as a church, whether it be our worship, our ministry to you, or the our well-being, seeking to minister to one another, or our witness as we seek to minister to the world, that in all of these things, Lord, again, we would do it according to your word, not according to our will. Lord, even if your will is at times counterintuitive, countercultural, even if your will, Lord, for us as a church is revealed in your word, is not what we would choose, not what we would like, not what necessarily makes us feel good. We would nevertheless honor you by following you as our king and as, again, citizens of your kingdom. And finally, Lord, we just pray beyond ourselves and beyond our church and your church around the world to our worlds that is so lost, our world, Lord, that ever since humanity's fall has, rather than bowing before your lordship, has rebelled against you and has committed treason against you, the true king of kings. And so, Lord, in this lost and wicked world, we pray that you would give us the grace to be faithful, gracious, bold ambassadors for Christ. Again, Lord, that we would live so differently as citizens of your kingdom rather than the kingdoms of this world, that people would take notice and would want to know the hope that is in us, and we would be prepared to share that. And Lord, in this world, we would we would offer the good news of King Jesus, because we know that is the only hope for this world, the only way that true and lasting change can happen, as more people are welcomed into your kingdom through Christ. And so pray, we pray, Lord, that we would be faithful witnesses to the kingdom faithful ambassadors of Christ, and that many would come to know Jesus as their Savior and as their King. Lord, I ask as we continue to worship you now through singing and and then through the reading and preaching of your word, that you would equip us for this work and you would give us greater confidence in your Spirit who is within us, and your word that will sanctify us and give us what we need to be faithful citizens of the King in whose name we pray, amen. Why
1: don't we we stand for the song, the stand.
0: Well, I'd invite you to turn with me in your Bibles at this time to 1 Corinthians. As we continue to worship the Lord through the reading and preaching of his word, uh, we'll look at 1 Corinthians chapter 6, and uh, we're going to be looking at verses 19 to 20, the last two verses in that chapter. The Apostle Paul, uh, in this letter, is addressing a number of problems in the church in Corinth, And in chapter 6, verses 12 to 18, he's just told them to flee from sexual immorality, which was a huge problem in that church. And then he makes this theological connection uh, at the end in verse 19 to 20. He says, Or do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit within you, whom you have from God? You are not your own, for you were bought with a price. So glorify God in your body. Let's just take a moment to pray again. Lord, we thank you for your word, and we thank you, as Jesus said, that your word is truth, and that it is a truth that will sanctify us. It'll make us holy. It'll make us more like Christ, our King. And so, Lord, we would ask that you would do that good work, that sanctifying work in us now by your word. That's our greatest desire, and we thank you for it in Jesus' name. Amen. There are many ways that Christians are different from everyone else. First, we have unique beliefs about who God is, who we are, why we exist, what God expects of us, and what God has done for us in Jesus Christ. Second, we also have unique behaviors. We want to live not as the world does, but as the Word describes, following God's perfect design rather than following our own deceitful desires. And then thirdly, we have unique blessings, most importantly, the free gift of eternal life for all who believe in Christ, the blessing of being born again into a right relationship with God now and forever. Now, most of those are probably uh, major differences you would come up with quite easily. But there's something else that significantly sets us apart that for whatever reason, we often forget An extraordinary distinctive that is highlighted in this morning's text. In 1 Corinthians 6, 19-20, the Apostle Paul reminds the Corinthian Christians and all believers in Christ everywhere of the astonishing truth that the Holy Spirit, the third member of the one triune God, dwells in us. Making our bodies his home. Just think about that for a moment. Who else makes that claim? That the creator and sustainer of everything, that the one true living God lives in us? No one. No one else makes that claim. But that's what scripture clearly states, particularly in this well known passage in 1 Corinthians. Where we're told, first of all, by the Apostle Paul about the reality of the indwelling Holy Spirit. So, again, verse 19, he says, Or do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit within you, whom you have from God? The implied answer to that rhetorical question is a resounding yes. Though the Corinthian Christians weren't acting like they knew, they were indulging in sexual immorality as the Previous verses say, they had been taught this truth, that the Holy Spirit was within them. Which raises a number of questions. First of all, what does it mean that the Holy Spirit, as Paul says, is within you? Well, Paul uses a powerful word picture here to help us understand. He says that your bodies are a temple of the Holy Spirit, And that is referring specifically to the inner sanctuary of the Old Testament temple, which is where God specially dwelt in all of his glory. So what was true then in the Old Testament temple was true now for the Corinthian Christians. And this is something that Paul actually repeats elsewhere. If you go back to chapter three, Verse 16, Paul said there, again, with a a rhetorical question, with a a positive answer implied, do you not know that you are God's temple and that God's spirit dwells in you? Now, it's something that I guess they need to be reminded of later on because in his second letter, 2 Corinthians 6.16, he says the same thing again. 2 Corinthians 6 16. What agreement has the temple of God with idols? For we are the temple of the living God. As God said, I will make my dwelling among them and walk among them, and I will be their God, and they shall be my people. Can you think of any greater privilege in life than that? To be a living temple for the living God. What an honor and what a responsibility because these Corinthian Christians therefore must must treat their bodies with the same sanctity that Israel had treated the temple expecting the same level of holiness and purity and devotion in all they would do as being the dwelling place of God. Therefore, within every moment of their lives, they needed to be asking themselves, is what I'm doing, is what I'm saying, is what I'm thinking, is what I'm watching, is what I'm seeing, is what I'm wearing appropriate for God's temple, which I am. And it's the same thing that that we need to ask if we are temples of God, if the Holy Spirit dwells in us, as it did for the Corinthian Christians, as he did That takes us to another important question then, are all believers indwelt by the Holy Spirit? Or is this just something that's true for a few, some super spiritual people, people who've had some special spiritual experience? Well, clearly Paul is addressing all of the Christians in the Corinthian church here, which we know is clearly the most unspiritual church in the New Testament, as the previous chapters and verses reveal. And so, if they were indwelt with the Spirit, so is every believer. And that's something that the Apostle Paul states unequivocally in Romans 8-9, where he says, Anyone who does not have the Spirit of Christ does not belong to him. Now, this was not always the case for God's people. Under the old covenant, the Holy Spirit was uh, as Jesus put it in John 14, with all believers, but not in all believers. Rather, he was primarily uh, in the prophets and kings, indwelling them in special ways for their ministries. But now, under the new covenant, that is all changed. And the Holy Spirit is in all who are united to Jesus Christ in faith. Something he said in John 7:38 to 39, Whoever believes in me, as the scripture has said, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. Now this he said about the Spirit, whom those who believed in him were to receive, for as yet the Spirit had not yet been given, because Jesus was not yet glorified. When Jesus was glorified after his resurrection and ascension, then all believers would be indwelt with the Spirit. Now, among other things, this truth should should really transform the way that we think about each other. How we view our brothers and sisters in Christ. How we treat them, whoever they may be. Years ago, some men were hastily carrying a poor old saint from uh, the hearse to the graveside, where only a few ragged-looking friends had gathered for the funeral. When the presiding minister, seeing how they had carelessly carried the body, said sternly, Friends, tread softly. You are carrying a temple of the Holy Spirit. It's so easy to forget this fact about every follower of Jesus Christ. No matter who they are, no matter what they look like, no matter what they've done, no matter what, etc. The Spirit lives in them, just as he lives in us. Which leads to, to one more question. Will the Holy Spirit Ever leave a Christian? Ever abandon his temple? What if a follower of Christ falls away from Christ for a time? Are they still indwelt? Or what if a believer backslides in a big way? Will their sin cause the Spirit to leave? Well, again, consider whom Paul was originally writing this to the Corinthians, who had fallen in the worst kinds of wickedness and sin. But Paul says they were still temples of God. Which means the sin of a believer cannot remove the spirit from a believer. Sometimes David's prayer in Psalm 51 has caused confusion when he he says, take not your Holy Spirit from me. But again, we need to remember when this was spoken. This was under the old covenant. When the spirit did not permanently indwell God's people. But now that we are under the new covenant, the Spirit does permanently indwell us. That becomes clear when Paul speaks about the sealing of the Holy Spirit. In Ephesians 1.13, chapter 4.30, and then also 2 Corinthians 1.22, where believers are assured that the Spirit has been stamped on us permanently as a guarantee until the day of redemption. 2 Corinthians 2, chapter 1, verse 22, Paul says this. Verse 1, and it is God who establishes us with you in Christ and has anointed us and who has also put his seal on us and given us his spirit in our hearts as a guarantee. Church, when the Spirit moved in, he moved in for good. The covenant he made with us, or you could say the contract he made, stipulates he will never leave his new home that Christ purchased for him by his blood. Yes, we might need new fillings of the Holy Spirit, as Paul says in Ephesians 5.18, We need to allow him every day to enter into those rooms that we blocked off and said, sorry, you're not welcome in that part of my life. We need to open up those doors and let him take control. Let him fill all of us. But he will never leave us. He has indwelt us once the moment we put our faith in Jesus Christ, who promised in John 14, 16, and I will ask the Father and he will give you another helper to be with you forever. That, friends, is the reality of the indwelling Holy Spirit, and what a marvelous reality it is. But Paul has more to say about this. He goes on to tell us about the results of the indwelling Holy Spirit, starting in the middle of verse 19. You are not your own, for you were bought with a price. So what are some of the ways that this incredible reality affects our Christian lives? Well, first and foremost, because we're indwelt by the Holy Spirit, it means we are not our own. When someone purchases a a new home, it no longer belongs to the previous owner as well. No, of course not. The deed is, is legally transferred to the new owner alone. Well, so it is with those who've been purchased by Christ and indwelt by the Holy Spirit. At salvation, you could say, we signed our lives away. Our bodies no longer belong to us at all, but belong to God alone. The deed has been transferred over to Him forever. Now, this means that we therefore must let our new owner do with our bodies, do with our entire lives, whatever he wants to do, because they're His. We must allow the Spirit to move out all of our old stuff and move in all of His new stuff love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self control, the fruit of the Spirit that He wants to form in us as we walk in Him, as Paul tells us in Galatians 5. It also means that we must let go of all of our plans. And all of our preferences and we need to get on board with his renovation plans for us. We need to let him into each room of our lives, each part of our lives, according to his design. In other words, as Paul says elsewhere, we need to present our whole lives as a living sacrifice to God. That is really the only fitting response to this understanding that we are not our own. The primary result of being indwelt by the Holy Spirit. But there's more. It also means that we are not on our own. An obvious implication of Paul's teaching here. D.L. Moody once said, you might as well try to hear without ears or breathe without lungs as try to live the Christian life without the Spirit of God in your heart. You know, anyone who attempts to follow Christ's commands and fulfill Christ's commission, anyone who takes that seriously knows that it is impossible for us to do on our own. But pay, praise God, Paul has just reminded us here that we are not on our own. No, we have the Holy Spirit living within us to equip us and to empower us to do God's will, whatever that may be. Church, as believers in Christ, we can never say, I can't do that. I'm reading the scriptures. I'm listening to a sermon. I'm in a class. There's something clearly Christ calls me to do. And we say, Sorry, God, I can't. That should never be in our vocabulary. Unless we mean, I, left to my own devices, can't. That's true. But if we are truly indwelt with the Holy Spirit, we should never think that way. But rather, whatever God calls us to do, we can do and we must do. Knowing that the Spirit indwells us and knowing that he owns us and has the right to demand of us whatever he wants, whatever he desires. Jesus called the Holy Spirit the helper in John 14, 15, and 16. And I, I love that title for the Holy Spirit because I need all the help I can get. I don't know about you, but I sure do. And so knowing that the helper of all helpers isn't just, you know, out there, like, can you come help me? But he's right there always, willing, waiting. What a difference that makes. That's so encouraging. I have a confession. I am not a handyman. I don't have the skill, and more importantly, I don't have the will to renovate my home. Let alone fix up all the small things that add up. Making our home all that it could be, rather than what it is. But I do have a handy father-in-law who is willing and able to help me out with this doing what I'm unable to do by lack of time, energy, whatever. And uh, our homes have always been so much better off because of him, because I have this helper. And in a far surpassing way, just as my home is far better off because of my father-in-law, I am infinitely better off because of the Holy Spirit, because of the helper who indwells me who, despite my inabilities, is renewing, reforming, and renovating me, just as he can do the same in you. Jesus said in John 14, If you love me, you will keep my commandments. And I will ask the Father, and he will give you another helper, to be with you forever, even the Spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive, because it neither sees him nor knows him. You know him, for he dwells with you and will be in you, and that's our experience, and what a difference that makes. Because the Holy Spirit indwells us, we are not our own, and we are not on our own, and praise God for that. But there's one final point that we must not miss that Paul wants to make here right at the end of of this text, and it's the reason for the indwelling of the Holy Spirit. Now, there are, in fact, many reasons the New Testament gives us for this incredible phenomenon. He gives us the Holy Spirit so that we can truly in our hearts know the love of God, Romans 5.5, so that we can be sure of our future resurrection, Romans 8.11, so we can put sin to death in our lives, Romans 8.13, so we can understand spiritual truth, 1 Corinthians 2.12, and so that we can know that Christ truly abides in us, as we read in 1 John 3.24. That's just to name a few of the reasons. However, As we discover here at the end of our text, none of these is the ultimate reason for the Spirit's indwelling. No, as we see, there's a much bigger and broader reason so that we can glorify God in our bodies. Since your body is a a temple of the Holy Spirit indwelt by him, Paul is saying, make sure you now use your body and live your life for the same purpose as the temple once had under the old covenant. The purpose ultimately for what? To glorify God, to worship him, to make much of him, to show the world the infinite value of the Lord, to worship the one who made you and who saved you and will one day make all things new. That is ultimately why the Holy Spirit indwells all of us who put our faith in Christ. Not so that we can please ourselves or praise ourselves, but rather so that we might live for the pleasure and praise of God. The Holy Spirit doesn't live in you to make you a better you. He doesn't live in you to make you feel good when things are bad. He doesn't live in you as a therapist. He lives in you so that you might decrease and so that Christ might increase. He lives in you and in me for his glory. And especially the glory of the Lord Jesus Christ, whom the Spirit was sent to glorify. The Spirit was not sent to make much of him. And that's why if you, if you want to know if a church is truly filled with the Spirit, they're going to be talking about the Lord Jesus Christ all the time, not the Holy Spirit. Because the Holy Spirit was sent to magnify Christ. And we see that in John 16, 13 to 14. Jesus said, when the spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all the truth. For he will not speak on his own authority, but whatever he hears, he will speak. And he will declare to you the things that are to come. He will glorify me. This is Jesus speaking. For he will take what is mine and declare it to you. The Holy Spirit indwells us so that we can make much of Christ. So that we can live for his glory. And one of the ways we do that, we glorify God, is by allowing the Holy Spirit to glorify Christ by making us more like Christ. Through the truth of the scriptures that the Holy Spirit inspired Because, you know, nothing will catch the world's attention more than increasingly Christ-like people. People who are looking more and more like Jesus. They will want to know what, or better, who is responsible for such remarkable reformation. You know, whenever you visit someone's home and you notice that there's been some major improvements, some major renovations to the house, what is your first question? You would ask them, who did these renovations? This is beautiful. We especially do this when the job was done very well and there's a drastic change. Would then give us, gives us as the homeowner the opportunity to, to make much of the contractor. You know, they did this and, and maybe you want to talk to them the next time you want some renovations. Well, the same is true or should be true when people see the transformation in our lives. It gives us opportunity to make much of the one who changed us from the inside out when people see the the fruit of the Spirit in our lives, when they see increasing holiness in us, separation from the world, when they see victory over evil actions, attitudes, and addictions, real, lasting, dramatic change, they want to know, who did it? And then we get to tell them, it was the work of the Holy Spirit who lives in me. He took away my sinful desires. He softened my hard heart. He's renewing my mind. And all of that is only possible because of the Lord Jesus Christ, who lived and died and rose again, so that we might receive a new life in him and live for him, for his fame, and for his name forever. Which, friends, is why We're here. It's the whole purpose of our lives. So glorify God in your body. In chapter 10 of 1 Corinthians, very well-known verse, verse 31, Paul makes that incredible statement. So whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, Do it all for yourself. No. Do it all for the glory of God. We exist for one great purpose to glorify the one true triune God. And that is now possible because God the Spirit dwells in us, in all who believe he can give us what we need to fulfill this great purpose if we let him if we yield to his will if we allow him to change us from the inside out not grieving the spirit with our sin as the apostle paul warns in ephesians 4:30 not quenching the spirit with our stubbornness as he warns in 1thessalonians 5:19 but rather walking by the spirit moment by moment as he instructs in Galatians 5 16, depending on the Spirit's power and defend, uh, deferring to his plans for us to renovate his new home. Then God will be glorified in us and we will fulfill what we are here for. This summer we had a lot of family come visit us um, particularly from Manitoba, some of my family, and and of course they stayed in our home, which always brings changes to our regular routine, but also changes to our house itself. We don't have a huge house, and so more people means more stuff, here and there and everywhere, which as a very tidy person (laughs) is difficult to let be. And so when company stays over, Colleen would say, I've gotten better at this. But still, when company's over, I find myself, when nobody's looking, constantly tidying everything up, putting everything back in the right place where it's supposed to be, right? Managing the changes that new people bring. I tell you this because I think it's a good illustration of what many of us do with the Holy Spirit who has moved in and made our bodies his home. We don't like all of the changes that his presence brings, especially when he starts making himself at home and messing up everything inside, bringing new duties and desires, reorganizing our priorities and practices, challenging beloved habits and hang-ups, And therefore, we, we limit the Spirit's influence in our lives cleaning up all of his stuff, managing his change so that our our lives can basically remain the same, keeping the things the way, just the way we like it to be. just going to keep my life the way I like it, but just a little bit of Jesus here, a little bit of church there, a little bit of religion there. Church, when we do that, we make a massive mistake. We forget that our bodies, we forget that our lives no longer belong to us. They're no longer ours to manage and control. They belong to the Holy Spirit, who is not a temporary guest, but a permanent resident and new owner, which means he has every right to reorganize, repair, and renovate us as he sees fit. Our great concern, therefore, should be, will we let him? Will we cooperate with the Holy Spirit, consenting to the changes he wants to make, which he has clearly revealed to us in his scriptures? Or will we hold him back by holding on to control and only allowing him to do a little bit here and a little bit there? How we answer this question will ultimately determine how much we become like Christ, and therefore how much Christ is glorified in us, the whole reason for our redemption. And so let's take some time as we consider these things to come before the Lord in prayer, and consider what we've heard, and specifically to recommit ourselves to his transformation. Asking the Spirit to change us. Continuing to make us his home. Make it look more like Jesus. Let's do that together now in prayer. Lord, we, we all confess as we consider what we've just seen that We don't live for you, we don't live for your glory. So much of the time we live for ourselves. We have our own plans, our own priorities. We're wooed by the world. We're wooed by the dream of this materialistic, consumeristic society. We live to have fun. We live for pleasure. We live for leisure, for comfort for security in our own selves and our money and our possessions. Forgive us, Lord. And give us a new appreciation for this incredible reality that we belong to you and that your Holy Spirit lives in us. Giving us all that we need to reorient our lives from self to the Savior to Jesus Christ for his glory. And so, Lord, we just take a moment now in silent prayer to recommit ourselves to that, asking the Spirit to take further control of our lives for Christ's sake. Holy Spirit, have your way with us for our good and for the glory of Christ. In his name we pray, amen.
1: In response, would you stand and sing this old hymn, I Surrender All.
0: that we ask or think according to his power at work within us to him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever amen go in the spirit